This is Sports Without Balls. I'm your host, Erin Foley, a stand-up comic obsessed with women's sports. Each week, I interview female athletes, coaches, reporters, you name it, whose stories on and off the field inspire us to take our lives up a notch. Let's do this. My guest today is one of the greatest soccer players of all time. Fire up your sewing machines, people, because she should be wearing a cape. She's played in 354 caps, five World Cups, three Olympics, two Hall of Fames. She's married to a firefighter. She's a mom and just wrote her first book called Powerhouse, 13 Teamwork Tactics that Build Excellence and Unrivaled Success. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Christine Lilly. Let me just say this out of the gates. Having you on as a guest to this uh, podcast is an Aaron Foley dream sequence. I'm experiencing pure joy right now, and I'm so excited. (laughs) Well, I'm excited to be here, too. Before we dive into the book, I did have a chance to read it, and I loved it. I wanted to get your thoughts on uh, we had a big 99er celebration reunion weekend a couple weeks ago. And for everybody that does not know, uh, the U.S. national team played Belgium a couple weeks ago, and they had a a wonderful celebration at halftime for the 1999 World Cup, which you were obviously a superstar on the team. And I just wanted to get your thoughts. It looked like you guys were having the time of your lives, and I know you had sort of a lot of weekend events. So could you tell us about that awesomeness? Well, it was was incredible, and I think it was... um better than I was expecting. Um, not in the sense that I wasn't excited to see everyone, but just the feelings uh, I had being there for the weekend with, with the 99 team, with other players that, um, it was also a reunion open up for anyone that's played on the U.S. team and seeing some old teammates that I played with and then obviously connecting with the present team. So there were so many different um, elements to the weekend, plus watching them play and then our kids, my kids and my other teammates' kids were all playing. There were so many elements to it that yeah. just made it so amazing and we did have so much fun and uh and that's really what it was like when we were together all the time playing too yeah from a fan perspective like you know i went to the game and one of my favorite things about going to u.s national team games and i say this about the WNBA as well it's seeing all the little girls in jerseys you know like growing up we didn't have you know jerseys female jerseys to wear so i'm sitting in the stands and the little the little girls are all wearing current team player jerseys right and they're screaming and it's so fun and then you guys come out at halftime and all of us in our 40s and up are losing (laughs) our minds cheering for you guys at halftime so it was just it was so fun to watch those generations lose their minds at these soccer players yeah no I tell you that's why I said there were so many emotions in the weekend I mean my kids said you know they're players that they like on the national now jerseys on Um, we were there um, just enjoying just feeling the the crowd from you know the success we had 20 years ago and just to be there and see, still see people appreciated obviously it's the 30 mid 30s or early 30s um group of age group that remembers us uh, more than these young kids now but uh it was it was pretty special yeah, it was it was just such a joy, and it was really fun as fans. And you you were all like individually, you were there as a team, but then individually, you know, everybody got a shout out, and then everybody screaming for their favorite players. It was yeah, it was like I was ten years old. It was adorable. It was awesome. We were just gonna go back to uh, the bar, have you know, have a couple drinks, and we're such nerd soccer fans. We're gonna talk about the game, and uh, a friend of mine, Katie Sowers, who I interviewed on the podcast. She's uh, she's one of the only female NFL coaches 
coaches. She's an assistant coach of the 49ers. Yeah. Um, so she was at the, the party upstairs uh, with all of you. And I, we were joking around. She's like on the balcony giving me the finger. I'm like, ah, you know, whatever. Enjoy yourself, right? <laughs> so then she comes down and she's like, I got two bracelets. I was like, what? Oh my God. So we go, <laughs> we go upstairs. And I wasn't thinking I was going to meet anyone. It was just like, it was just fun to like see, you know, all the soccer players and whatever. And, and then I got to meet you. And, and we, I've had a running joke in my life with all my friends like, the day I meet Christy Lilly, I'm going to kiss the forehead that saved the World Cup gold. You know, like, and, and they're like, please, Aaron, don't, don't do that. I'm like, I'm not going to. That would have been awesome. <laughs> I think I did touch your forehead, and I have to apologize. <laughs> we, we, we discuss it. But, yeah, I mean, it's great. I mean, I think the world is so funny sometimes. I think when you're when you're playing and into it, it on the team and you, the fans, you, you get it so much. And then when you get older and then you come back and then the fans that were little or older and you can have, actually have a normal conversation about, you know, things, and then you still want to just kiss my forehead. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it really, you have these moments in your life, right? Like, you know, I do, I do stand-up and I write, and I just am just, I've always been so passionate about women's sports, and I'm a big fan, and um, I love promoting, you know, female athletes and, and, and teams, and, and that's what it is. But then, you know, I had a couple gin and tonics, I was nervous, and I was like, it's Christy Lily! And I was like, all right, calm down, just everybody Everybody, everybody calmed down. Uh, but it was so fun. And, and, we met, yeah, so. and, and everyone was so nice. You know what I mean? That's what was the you takeaway. Were, you were basically in the in the know, in the who's who of women's soccer. I was. Everybody there. I woke up the next morning like, uh, was that Christmas? That was a form of Christmas. That was uh, that was pretty dreamy. Well, um, it was, there were so many different people there. It was so, like, just trying to connect and say hello and try to, you know, interact with so many. It was just... Yeah. Overwhelmed at times. But uh, every time you turned around, there was some, I'm like, oh my gosh, Boxy. Oh my gosh, there's Alex Morgan. Oh my gosh, there's Julie Valley. You know, like it just one from one generation to the next, you kept passing people. Yeah. And there was such a great energy. It was such a great spirit. Like everybody was meeting each other. It felt like sometimes maybe some of the, the current players were just meeting, you know, you ladies for the first time, which was super yeah. fun to see, you know. Um, did you, had you had met a lot of the current uh, players or did you meet anyone for the first time that night um well we had we went to the practice the day before um right. so we saw some and i've met i've been to games prior like last year i think or two years ago it was a game in texas so um i got behind the scenes passes um so i got to meet um some of the players and of course i mean i watch them so much and who knows if they you know have watched me i mean with the age difference these days who knows when they were born um so you don't know but then I'll, I, when you go up to a couple of them i think it was um lynn williams when she was first coming into the pro league and i was in boston that i watched her kid for a little bit and i totally remember that and i was like oh my gosh how cool is that and she i love watching her play yeah oh my I god she's she's final. dynamic yeah i saw her the final out in portland um and she was great there, and it's just it's great to see her in the mix with the U.S. team. The smallest world ever, right? Jesus. Yeah, and I, and I think I faintly, I mean, with my brain and my kids, I was like, I think I remember that. Holy cow. Um, but then you go look, and now we're reacquainted. She's on the national team in the mix right now, so... That's so that's so awesome. Let's jump into the book because uh, it it's such a great jumping off point because so many soccer stories weaved into the book and it's called Powerhouse 13 Team Work Tactics that Build Excellent and Unrivaled Success. And just for our listeners, just give us a synopsis of the book and then we'll jump right in. Yeah, no, basically, you know, it's it's a, a 
business book or any book to help an organization about teamwork. And um, I, with the co-author, Dr. John Gillis, we had discussed about, you know, um, he talked so much about our team. He, uh, we met in Texas and he didn't know much about me and then found out I was on the team. He was like, oh my gosh, and then learned about the team. He's like, oh my God, these are incredible stories. And then he knows that I did promotional stuff and speeches. He's like, you need to present this and, and go out there. He's like, we should put something together a business book that can help organizations because he's in the business world and how much teamwork in sports can help organizations outside the sport. Um, so that's how the book kind of started. We have 13 teamwork tactics, obviously 13 playing with my number. Um, and basically it's, you know, different, different tactics that work with the U.S. team when I was on the team and I think continue to work with the team um, with the success that we've had. I mean, I, I don't know. There was eight tournaments, big tournaments that I played in my career. We won two gold, two two World Cups, silver, and came in third the other time. So for eight, 18 of those years, we were successful, and this team continues to be successful. So what is the what are the secrets? And it's not really secrets, and this book kind of shares some of the tidbits and stories that have helped us be successful. Yeah, it, I mean, it's so awesome that you, you, this book is going to reach all these, you know, businesses across, you know, hopefully globally, right? But that it's based on the success of the women's national soccer team. I mean, that's that's really, like, unheard of, right? And, right. and, and again, right now, I always say we because I always feel like I'm part of the team, fighting for uh, fighting for equal pay, just not to play on turf, you know? And, yeah. and you're basing a book on how companies can get more successful on the most successful successful team in our country and that's the women's the u.s women's national team and i think it's great too i mean you don't you don't you hear a lot of stories about the men's men's sports whether it's the the yankees the patriots the celtics uh, lakers whatever it means but it's always a male male sport so i think it's a great um platform for more access for women to see that in men to you know learn learn what the u.s team was all about and why we were so successful yeah, and, and you know, I obviously support the men's soccer team as well. But I'm always like, oh, the men's, uh, we still have a team? Because uh, all the women's team, all we do is win. We just win every single year, and then we can't even get, uh, you know, 70 cents to a dollar. It's insane. It drives me It drives me well, that, crazy. And that's why we should celebrate the U.S. women's team, always. Yeah, always. Every day I wake up and I high-five myself every <laughs> that there's a team. <laughs> every day I just go, yes, Aaron, let's go see this team. <laughs> Obviously, 90% uh, of, of the book is this great th- through line about uh, teamwork. And you have you played uh, for 23 years. You've had a gazillion teammates. You've been on so many teams. So I'm going to give you a couple uh, scenarios. You can pick any teammate you've had for all those years uh, to help you through this scenario. Just one teammate? Just one teammate. Three questions. The last question you can pick two, but this is just one teammate. So here's the first scenario. You ready? Okay. I'm ready. You're at a bank making a deposit. So you're in a line, and then all of a sudden, boom, bank robbers bust in. Chaos ensues. Everyone's down on the floor. Who do you want next to you to help navigate this crisis situation? Navigate the crisis. Well, when you, you throw the word navigation in there, and there's a person that always knows where to go, what to do, and that's Mia Ham. Mia Ham in so, a bank robbery, okay. Mia Ham in a bank robbery. She'll be like, look, we need to go this way, and we'll be gap. Yeah. <laughs> um, he yeah. jokes so much when we're in the car anywhere that if I'm in the car, I never know where the heck I'm going. 
So Mia's gonna navigate us, you know, of a bank robber. She's she's the one I got right there. I love it. I, and I also would just say, like, pick a teammate and why. So Meham's got a good crisis and navigation skills. That's awesome. Yeah, she's always can handle situations so good. She always knows what to say, when to say it, how to say it, and she's money. Oh, my God. That's awesome. Um, all right. You're at a cocktail party. This is scenario number two. Black tie, stuffy. Nobody's comfortable. You have to mingle. You got to get the word out about your book, right? You don't know anyone at the party. Uh, what teammate do you want to help you uh, get through this night with? Uh, well, there are two that come to mind. So I'm gonna you have can to do two. Do two. Do two. Okay, so first off will be Julie Fatty. I mean, because um, she can work a room. <laughs> She's got a great voice. Um, she could connect with people. Uh, she's passionate, so if she she loves me. She'd be passionate about my book, um, and she's fun. And then the other one would be Daniel Fotopoulos, who is part of our '99 team. Yeah. And, um, when he played at the University of Florida, and she's just fun. And she'd be like, "No, you need to come here. You need to go here. You need to go there." And she would take me right under her wing. Plus, she's like five ten, so she, I'm like a little little mini me to her. Um, <laughs> but she would make me laugh the entire night and help me get through that. It's fun to hear her name because I remember, you know, she doesn't get enough credit. She she was awesome. Yeah, no, she's awesome. And I think the one thing that um, she's just a, a great teammate. And, and she didn't for the World Cup. She didn't get in the game once, but she was the first one that was pushing us celebrating with us, giving high fives, um, finding any way she can help us be successful. And, and really, it sums up what being part of a team is all about with her. Yeah, and and I know I'm jumping ahead. I'll get back to the third scenario. But that's what I love throughout the whole book, you know? It, it was all these player stories and anecdotes and, and, and taking those moments of being a great teammate and, and turning them into tactics, uh, which was really clever and creative because... Again, if you're you're a listener, uh, you don't have to be a crazy soccer fan to enjoy the book. You don't have to be a CEO of a company to enjoy the book. And I'll talk about a little bit more throughout the podcast. But it was it was a great read, and there was great moments throughout the book where you're like, I can use that in my own life tomorrow. So happy to hear these wonderful things you're saying. All right, last scenario. Here we go. Uh, yes. You have three days in Vegas, unlimited funds. You want to have as much fun as possible. Not like lose a tooth fun, but fun. You want to rip it up. And you can have two teammates. Who do you choose? Oh, boy. All right. Well, one, I'm going to choose Brandy Chastain <laughs> um, because, A, she likes to gamble and she usually wins. So I nice. would be at her jack table. Uh, and my second would be Tish Venturini. Um, she, I went to college with her, but she was on the 99 team. And she's just fun. Yeah. I got to I got to meet her uh, at the party because the mutual friends I uh, had with me knew her because they went to a couple of her camps back in the day. I mean, they're like I'm talking like next level crazy, you know. Uh, but but salt of the earth. One's a social worker. Her wife's a cop. You know what I mean? Just like the greatest, right? Um, but they knew her, so it was such a fun intro because I was like, oh my god, hey. Um, but she's like, oh, I'm coming to your comedy show because I know she lives in like Southern California. So I was like, oh my god. Yeah, no. She's all, Tish is awesome. So, like, just quality fun. It, it, she welcomes you into your, her, her home, and you, like you've known her for years. 
but she'd be super fun to be in Vegas. Plus, we celebrated her 40th birthday in Vegas, so she knows how to celebrate. Nice. All right. Awesome. Awesome answers. Um, all right. Let's stick with teamwork before I get to my nerdy goal question. I always wanted to know this because obviously your career is prolific, and 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 the World Cups and the Olympics were, you know, I'll remember those games forever, just as as a fan. But was there was there a difference in the experience of a World Cup versus the Olympics? I, I'm sure it was the same prep, but like, what was was there was there any differences? There there was. I mean, it is the same prep. Um, you know, we're always training to be the best in the world. So whether we're playing the Olympics or the World Cup, it was still. Um, um, our ultimate goal. I think for um, Americans, or more so back in the day, we associate with the Olympics a bit more because that's what we always see. Um, and for growing up when I was a 10-year-old kid and watching the Olympics on TV and wanting to be in the Olympics for gymnastics, I was like over the moon when we finally were in the Olympics in 96. So I think it's different. And also if you look at, but then if you look at a soccer player, specific soccer player, the World Cup's the ultimate. There's yeah. nothing There's nothing that compares to it. And it's soccer specific. So it, for soccer fans and people, it's amazing. When, once this World Cup starts in June, June 7th, for two weeks, you're going to have a soccer game on. It's Every day. the best. You know, more than one. It's going to be so incredible. Um, so watching the men's, um, when they had it in France uh, the year before, it was incredible. It's the best soccer. But the Olympics has this Olympic feel like um, because there's other athletes, there's other sports, there are people all from around the world. More, I mean, the amount of athletes in an area is unbelievable. And I think for me that one of the biggest moments we were in um, – in 96, we went to opening ceremonies, which was incredible then, but then we went to eat in the cafeteria. And it's just a huge tent of <laughs> different um, flavors of foods from all over the world. Wow. Unbelievable. Like, so you can go and maybe you want Mexican or Chinese, you know, it had, it had everything. And to be in there and just to see all the other athletes and everyone was strong, strong, beautiful, and athletic and just just ready to gear up to take on the world and eating eating right and then you go into the the uh, cafeteria at the end of the olympics and everyone's at mcdonald's <laughs> <laughs> because everyone's i don't want to worry about what i mean just give me a burger and fries oh yeah at that so, point your hair's pulled back and you're eating out of a trough and you're like come uh, on like, just you know you just give yourself room to breathe a little bit but it, it, they're both amazing but they're definitely a different feel um and i'm not sure which one feels better i don't think one feels better than the other way it just has a different feel yeah you were in three olympics and you could have been in four but you weren't in the 08 olympics because you had uh, a baby you had a daughter I just thought that's such a good, like, uh, you know, mom card to play. You know, do you ever play like, like, oh, oh, you're not gonna clean up your room. I'm, I miss the Olympics because I gave birth to you. Do you ever, do you ever play that card? I haven't used that one. I gotta. Right. I was just like, that's uh, gotta be such a. I mean, that, that's like the ultimate trump card, right? I mean, she was my third gold medal. Third, um, yeah. No, it was. I mean, I was 08. I was just. Uh, we just played in the 07 in the World Cup. Came in third and it was a downer of uh, a world cup and my husband and i i'm 36 at the time and you know just been married a cup one year oh wow so but when i was also older so i was like my husband and i like we got to decide so i was like hey let's see let's try to have a kid if i have a kid no olympics if i don't then i'll try i'll try and make the team had a, had a kid 
the Olympics. I remember getting up because the games were in China, and I remember getting up um, at the crack of dawn to watch, and I was feeding, so the baby, my oldest Sydney was just sleeping on me while I'm watching the U.S. play, and I was like, oh, my God. So It was weird, though. It was really weird not to be there. When I'm prepping for a guest, I obviously knew a lot about your career, but it's always just fun to have, you know, see some, uh, learn new learn new stuff about you personally. And then I say you, then I saw you were married uh, to a firefighter, uh, which was kind of mind blowing because because I was thinking, God, that must have been that must have been the hardest things ever. Like after you retire, um, you you have this insane amount of competition in you. You know, you must be obviously a very highly competitive person, and then you're married to a firefighter I'm like oh oh my god like that must be like the most competitive <laughs> household in America yeah I mean I could say my kids uh, playing cards or any game board and someone loses there's not happiness in the house yeah there's okay. tears and I can't ever lose I'm like, it doesn't matter if you win. And I'm thinking, yes, it no, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> competitive and some maybe sometimes to a, a fault a little bit, but um, it's also fun. I mean, every time you play a game, you play to win. And if you can learn how to win um, humbly and learn how to lose properly, then you're all right. And that was really yeah. fun, too, about the... Uh, uh, about the book too because you know it's set up by chapter by chapter about uh you know co- we talk about competition and goals and and the competition part uh i love too because you know you weave in these awesome stories and and you have former players weighing in about their perspectives which was really unique you know so it it felt like you got s- such a good sense of uh yourself and other players and carly lloyd had a great uh moment in the in when she was talking about competition uh, which of course bleeds right into to, you need as much competition as possible in, in the business sector. But, and she was saying that you know the, the the national team was so competitive all the time. Forty players trying out for twenty different positions, um, and she still to this day has never felt like her position was cemented. The great thing globally is now the competition is really uh, getting better and better, which I think is phenomenal for for women's soccer. Um, but was it like that? You know, when you were playing, uh, was it? that sense of insane competition that is i mean that team i mean the thing about it is you never you never feel like you're secure and i think when you look at that life when you're 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 trying to be better and to be the best if you did settle that you're like oh yeah i'm all good and that's when someone takes takes your spot um, so I think we all felt that it was a competitive, a competitive environment to the day you, you you made the team. Once you made a team for a world championship or Olympics, you got you got to breathe a second. You're like, okay, I mean, now then you had to start to prepare and continue to prepare. So you're in the starting lineup or you're breaking, trying to um, push the players that are in the starting line to be better. So there was never there's never a, a, a complacency ever, and that's that's why it's so difficult as well to be on that team and to compete at that level because you got to keep showing up every day and giving your giving a hundred percent and your best um, to be on that team. That's why again, I love the book. It's a great mentality for me as an individual for business, whatever it is, because you have to have a competitive streak, even in, in stand up, it's like you're competing, you know, every single day, but then you've got your peers, which you really rely on. You know, I, you just get so close to your other stand up comics, especially yeah. females, because you know, it's, it's literally like 1950s in these comedy clubs. It's, yeah. I'm always like, when I, whenever I perform, I'm like, there has to be another woman on the bill. Like I just insist, like if I'm 
headlining, I know it's going to be with two dudes, you know, opening and featuring. And I'm like, no, put that one of those slots has to be a woman. It's insane. <laughs> but the, the sense of competition just makes you better. And I think what's interesting, too, with the whole, um, obviously, with the whole teamwork thing, it, like the players on, on the national team, we were we were competing against each other in a sense, but we're also building up each other. And to have that dynamic, a part of a team, and to be successful, that's what you need. You know, you have to have that competitive to always pushing each other, but then when you're there, you're also supporting each other. And I think that's the dynamic that's missed a lot in a lot of organizations out there because everyone's like, well, if I let that, if I push them, then they're gonna be ahead of me, and then what, what am I left with? But we looked at it as a team as if I'm, I'm stepping on the field against me and Ham, if I'm not giving my 100%, I'm not making her better. And if she's not, then she's not making me better. And if she happens to score a goal, great. Then only it helps us. You know, so I think that's what that's what's missed outside the soccer world. Yeah, no, that's a that's an awesome point because at the end of the day, when even in comedy, when you get off the stage, you know, the next person on, you know how hard that is. You know, yeah. like you're you're you want to do really, I want to do really well myself, but I want that next person, and especially female comics. I'm like I I I'm screaming with laughter on this. All I want them is to have like the world's best experience yeah. when they go out there. So that's a that's an awesome point. You talked about a lot of goals in the book, which which was really, I'm like a, I, I set a lot of uh, uh, goals for myself, and we talked about specific goals and, and stretch goals, um, yeah. and I, I wanted to kind of impress upon the listeners, uh, because your story is so awesome and, and unique, because now, if you're a young girl, the great the great thing is like, you, you can set clear goals. Okay, we've mm-hmm. national team, Olympics, uh, National Women's Soccer League, you know, under 17, under 21. It seems like there's a very clear path for goals on how to be a professional soccer player. But, I, I, you know, growing up, you did not have that, which you talk about in the book, which is so impressive. And I wanted you to talk about that process because when you're a little kid, there was no national team, right? And then you no. said you were inspired by the Olympics. But again, there's no soccer team in the Olympics until 96. So yeah. I wanted you to talk about that kind of, um, you know, how you maintain these goals and sort of specifically what were they when, you know, there was no sort of higher uh, team to, yeah. to look towards? Well, I think, I, I think it goes back to just the love of what I was doing in the beginning. I was just playing soccer. I was playing sports. I was playing baseball. I was playing basketball. Um, whatever my brother was doing, I wanted to do. So it was just immediate love. And then it was just once you had some confidence and feeling good in what you're doing, it was just the, the training of it. And I can remember I would be in the backyard. I mean, I think I was in high school. Um, and I would just be juggling with the ball, and we had a dog, and the ball, the dog would try to take the ball away from me. And I, I used to kid back then. I was like, it was one of the hardest defenders I've ever had. <laughs> but you just, you love what you're doing, and I think kids these days have it too. But instead of them doing it by themselves, they have a trainer. Um, so we just, we just found the way to do it. And then obviously, when I made the national team when I was 16, junior in high school, and it was like, oh wow. I'm surrounded with other women that are just like me, like wanted to be the best, wanted to sweat, wanted to compete, wanted to laugh, got mad when they lost, celebrated when they were happy or strong. And I was like, wow, this is incredible. So then I was, I, I see these women, see this example, and I'm like, oh my gosh, what do I need to do to continue to be a part of this group? 
and then that's when I the goals were fitness was a backbone of my career so I made sure I was fit always before I went into camp and we had specific fitness drills that I did and I would train them and I just made sure I was ready because that was the one thing I could control so that was the that was really my backbone and then you know the the skill the technical work we had to be game played as much as we can but there's no where to play there was no leagues to play in I would go to my high school I grew up in Wilton Connecticut and we had a big field house I would go in there and there's a wall put on my Walkman with the yellow Sony headphones <laughs> yes in my this big old thing in my pocket and I used to just kick the ball against the wall like over and over again laces inside the foot then I work on receiving the ball and then I work on a couple juggles and shooting and just did it over and over again um and that was like the best training I could do without having a team around me to do it and you just did it because you wanted to be a part of that I wanted to be a part of the national team because it was so amazing to be around those women that wanted to do the same thing I did and wanted to be the best um, and I, I, I took care of the little things of being technically sound and fit. Those were my small goals. And then I get into the arena and then I could work more on the tactical and, and understanding of the game with the players that I had to obviously now play with because I didn't have players to play with. So there's always these ultimate goals, always to make the team make each camp. I mean, it wasn't even the team that you, had, you wanted to make the next camp that would occur. So those were always the, the goals that were there for that. And then if you didn't, you continue to work hard to try to make that next camp. So um, you just got to keep going forward. And I think the basis behind all of that is if you take care of the hard work of technical and fitness and all that stuff, all that other stuff will come. may not come when you want it, but eventually if you stay, stay working hard and have the talent, it eventually comes. I want to just stop this podcast and run out and just run five miles. Uh, it's it's very well, inspirational. It's all, I mean, I can't. I, after a mile, my back would fly out, and then I would just be like, I need a, I need a beer. But uh, it's 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 a good thing to keep in mind. And plus, those the smaller goals they make you feel good. Yeah. Because if you just continue to have the stretch goal and you're working towards it, you're always like, am I there yet? Am I there yet? Did I get it? Did I reach it? And you always need these little ones to accomplish. And that's like sometimes at training, everyone's like, well, you have so much to work on. I'm like, yeah, but maybe at training I was working on make, maybe making, you know, five consecutive five-yard passes. Yeah. And if I did that, then I was like, sweet, I'm feeling good. And then I started serving long balls and whatnot. So it's definitely playing around with those small goals to make you build the confidence up to be able to reach the, the bigger goals. I think also people forget that <laughs> then you went to UNC. I forgot about this and won four national championships. I'm like, Jesus Christ. I mean, that was unbelievable. <laughs> but I loved reading about that because I'd always heard stories about the UNC coach, you know, Coach Dorrance. And uh, he just sounds like, uh, you know, you have a whole chapter of the book about, uh, you know, individual coaching and your coaches and how to coach in the business world. And But Coach Dorrance, I didn't really know a lot about. And some of I, I, some of those were some of my favorite parts of the book because just one quick uh, story that that it would be fun for you to talk about. It said one of Coach Dorrance's coaching secrets to inspire his players was a handwritten letter on the night before championship games at UNC. He took a pen and paper and wrote a letter to each of his senior players on the team. In each, he detailed the ways in which player had contributed to the team, how they had grown into women, and what his aspirations for them were after college. I mean, I was almost shaking. I was like, that is that's amazing. Uh, Anson was amazing and is still amazing. Uh, his motivation um, 
skills was unbelievable. But he did seniors. He would write. I don't know if it's changed a little bit to the present day, but back in the day, he'd write a letter to us, um, and then he'd read it to the group, and then the seniors would leave the room. Where he'd talk about it oh, somehow. Wow. So, you know, I, he did something like I, I, this. Is the part I remember if we just got the letter, but he used to talk about the seniors. They'd leave the room, and he would, this was their motivation to the rest of the team. Like, okay, listen, we have these three. I think there was three of us, and share stories about the three of us and why you should play for these three people today. And you leave the room. Half the time, the players will leave the room in tears because they're like, <laughs> oh, about these guys, you know. So. He, but the whole mentality at Carolina is you play for each other. You know, you, you don't play for anything else but each other. And uh, he built that foundation there. He continued the foundation building on the national team of carrying each other when people are struggling. And uh, it's just amazing. So many of his teaching or coaching methods um, I use today when I'm coaching. Them. Some of the drills were just the you know, the turning series we used to do, I, I'm teaching the turning series. And, and he just had a way of motivating us and uh, – really showing that he cared not only about the soccer, but about the person. You know, it was just one of these wonderful, um, perfect storms, you know, that he was the one to take over the national team. You went on to, you know, be all of you, be the backbones of these successful, amazing teams. But then I always go back to the 99 team as such a pinnacle, like, moment for women's sports. That, to me, I'll, you know, never forget that, that tournament and and that game. And, but again, it starts with him coaching you guys at UNC and these motivational moments and these skills and every single day to, to culminate in these championships. I mean, I am a, a crazy sports fan, and I couldn't tell you. I, was, I don't even know if the 91 World Cup was, was televised. I, I have no memory of that. That's the big thing is that people didn't. I mean, we went, went in. There was three people waiting for us at the airport. I, <laughs> So I think you weren't alone in that, but it was the start. And uh, Anson had a big, Anson had a bigger vision. It, it wasn't just about him coaching the team. It was, it was about the vision of, of soccer and specifically women's soccer. And uh, he always used to talk to us about, uh, I believe this is in the book too, about um, selling the game. Yeah. And we were like, I'm like, selling the game. What is he talking about? I just want to play soccer. I want to score some goals. I want to have some fun. But in doing all those things, we were selling it because we were being ourselves. We had personalities. We cared about what we were doing. We signed autographs. We had, we were professional. Our socks were up. Our shirts were tucked in, and we put we presented ourselves in the way to sell it. And he had the vision out there of that. And then when Tony took over in '95, he continued that vision. And both both those men dedicated themselves. Um, Tony did, and Anson still does, to the women's game, and it, it's really just uh, unbelievable what they've done with the game. Yeah, and another I thought wonderful tidbit. Uh, he said, when they when you travel to China, we rode a cold train from the airport to the hotel, having to dust ourselves off when we arrived. I remember the sheets were so grimy that we all wore our clothes to bed. We didn't complain about a thing. Whining was not allowed. I was like, oh, my God. What yeah. an amazing moment. I mean, now when you think about it now to back then, like, that's pretty incredible. Yeah, there was, there was no whining. There was no complaining. He just kind of like, all right, this is our situation. And back then, we used to fly to China. The first day, the next day of practice or there, we used to run fitness. Wow. That's... I loved it because we got it done. Yeah. <laughs> 
think about these players these days all the doctors are like well we need to have 24 hours of sleep and then your blood pressure needs to be here you know like, there's so many there's so much science involved now it's just like and, uh, and, it's, and the science to me i mean listen you want to put the athlete in the best position but um i always go back to my my dad uh, he grew up in brooklyn a huge brooklyn dodgers fan and uh and he hates uh, relief pitchers you know uh because now it's so specialized and i always go like when everyone's just like oh the the you can't do this and you can only my dad would always go you know what back in my day the pitcher went in and that was your pitcher and he pitched till his arm fell off and that's that's what you did you know like still to this day he's 80 years old we'll talk about baseball you know and he'll be like well i mean a guy comes in and throws two pitches uh, it's ridiculous you know and you're like okay okay all right dad you know i've heard it so much but i still love it when he says it because yeah. you know you guys are riding a coal train and you win the world cup yeah you know, it's just a different time and uh different mentality yeah uh, I did want to ask you, because I know you do a lot of coaching, and I know you have a lot of kids' camps, and uh, you were at UT, right? You were coaching did, yeah, for a bit? three years there. Um, but I wanted to talk to you about the adult fantasy <gasps> camp. Want to come to one of these? Let's get one out in California. Uh, yeah, I'll help organize get us, it. Get us a bunch of people. We'll have it out there. Um, I'm organizing about 20 people to go to a UCLA women's softball game on Sunday. So if you did an adult soccer fantasy camp, I could probably have 500 people signed up in 35 seconds. Yeah, we're coming. We're coming. So this is a no-brainer. But I just want to know, I, and of course it's you and Mia and Tish, but how did that start? You know, we we have been doing these. Uh, well, I do camp. Mia, Tish, and I do Team First Soccer Academy. So it's a, the business we started and kind of plays on also with the book of our philosophies that Anson taught us in North Carolina, always putting the team first, playing for each other. Uh, so we started this camp called Team First because we always put the team first ahead of whatever we did. Um, we trained to make the team better. So we've been doing these camps since 2010. We've been doing it all around the country. Um, we just recently, Tish and I went to Iraq and trained our curriculum um, to wow. some of their coaches and train some kids. So now we are worldwide. That's so, oh my God. Well, for, well, wait, just put a pin in this real quick. What was that like? Oh, uh, it was awesome. Uh, Tish and I went and then we brought our, 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 our girl that's in charge of our social media. She just documented it all. And it was amazing. It was like, uh, we were in Erbil, which is, um, more of the Christian area of Iraq, so we were in the, uh, the safer area. Um, but it was great. We worked with this group called IREX, which is a group that does educational programs around the world. And uh, and we did a, we were training our curriculum to to probably young 20, 20, mid-20s, and they lived in the, in the rougher areas of Iraq, and they would go back to those areas, and they were going to teach soccer camps based on our curriculum. So awesome for us because we've been wanting to help. I mean, you know, to reach as many people as we can. And then we train kids and the girls and boys, it was just like soccer was there and it didn't matter where you're from, what you spoke, what you believed in, the game was just there. And I think that's what's so strong about sport, but also the game of soccer. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what it is. It's it's the international language. You know, you can get along with anyone if you're you're kicking a ball around. That's, yeah, that's so it's cool. Awesome. It's so cool. 
So we went to Iraq. And so anyway, so going back to team first, so we've been doing these um, camps and we have some younger people on our staff. I'm saying younger, like in their early thirties, late twenties. And they're like, you guys got to do a fantasy camp. And we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Cause they would have loved, they're like, gosh, if you had it, we would be going, but they're working with us. So they're, they get better yeah. um, access to us. Um, and then we saw some other players and we're like, yeah, let's do it. So we tried the Atlanta will be our first one next weekend. We got, I think almost 50 people coming in, but a lot of them, are out of state they're flying in oh that's what i'm saying i mean seriously we're obviously now best friends and we're going to stay in touch so i could get you a gazillion people from just from like a you know a soccer fan perspective i was thinking well obviously it would just be so fun to learn from you guys and to meet you guys but it would just be it would be so fun to meet the other like-minded women at the camp you know the ultimate teammates like friends for life I know. Well, I already, I already just have an idea. So anyway, we do the we do the soccer part, and then we have like an hour, I think an hour, cocktail hour, whatever, where we talk and questions and have a couple of drinks here and there. But I've already got to play. We do we do the the clinic, and then you do stand up. Oh, oh my God! Come on, come on! Don't laugh. We get to play soccer. I mean. Seriously, this is going to happen. I'm going to put it on a. I've never had a vision board before, okay, but I'm, I'm getting a vision board. Hey, let's first see how the first one goes this weekend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> see if we survived and we're not injured or had like any like heart attack or something. I'm going to get a text from me like a board. A board. <laughs> These women were way too aggressive. I'm still in Atlanta, trapped in my Thanks. hotel room. <laughs> oh shoot. <laughs> I know you live uh, in the Boston area, but when I was doing my deep dive research, it said Wikipedia said you were born in New York, and I thought, oh my God, is she a New York sports fan or is she a Boston sports fan? I'm, well, ner- I'm nervous. I'm nervous for this answer. There's no nerves. I grew up, I was born in New York City, and then I moved to California. I, was in, I lived in LA. My oh, dad worked at, for ABC. I lived near Burbank. Oh, no way. Yeah, uh, for two years, and then 76, I moved to Connecticut, and my parents grew up in New York City. They lived on the east side. I grew up New York Jets fan because we had season tickets. I grew up New York Yankees fan. My rest of my family is Mets, and I like the Yankees. I was smarter. Um, Willie Randolph was my favorite player. Knicks and Islanders. Nice. All right, good. Three out of three out of the four. All right, so now I live in Boston. Been here for 12 years. My I'm bracing myself. Mia, Mia married Nomar. I know. I only, I used to, when Nomar was playing, I would always text him, I'm like, when he played the Yankees, I'm like, you got any tickets? <laughs> <laughs> he would like brace himself for the text. Um, so I was a huge Nomar fan because of Mia. Um, and then the pay, I mean, I don't even know anyone on the Jets anymore. We don't even have season tickets anymore because my, they wanted all this money to reserve your seats. Yeah. So, but I mean, I'm, I'm a Tom Brady fan just because he's good. He's like Cheater. Everyone in, everyone in Boston hates the Yankees, but they respect Jeter. It's kind of like that. I finally admitted uh, it took everything I had as a, as a human being to admit that Tom Brady is the greatest of all time. And I know he does a forward, you know, quote in your book. And yeah. I was like, oh, God, OK, all right, of course, that's a good that's a good it's a good get. You know, I'm team Lily. It's a good get to get a Tom Brady quote. I know we got to wrap it up, but I could talk to you for 17 hours. We have a lot of uh, sports fans that, that listen to the show, but maybe not a lot of crazy soccer fans. But to me hands down and it could be argued but for me I always argue that you're the greatest player of all time I mean you're midfield where you had to do everything right whatever don't get me started so um in 99 uh 
that that game, the the notorious header, which if if yeah. you don't know, listeners, look it up, because uh, it's always fun to revisit. And I revisited; I hadn't probably seen it in you know ten plus years. But you know, crazy corner. Th- this is a, a sold out stadium in in Pasadena. Uh, you know, the the corner kick was beautiful. Uh, the 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 Chinese player, I don't know their names, and if I knew them, I would butcher them, and I would feel terrible. But a beautiful corner, um, beautiful header from from yeah. the, the the Chinese. I forgot yeah. when I revisited how powerful that header was. Well, it was incredible. Like you're setting up perfectly. You just didn't add that it was like 90 degrees or 100 degrees. Yeah, yeah, out. yeah. Also 100 uh, degrees. But yeah, no, I was. My job was on the post, and Michelle Akers had just gotten punched in the head prior to that. So our strongest header was out of the game. Um, and it was a beautiful ball, and, and the Chinese player outheaded our, our team, and the ball goes flying past Brianna Scurry, our goalkeeper, and I pinched in a bit to make the goal smaller, and I headed it. And the funny thing is I headed it, and then as I headed and I look where it landed, it landed inside the six-yard box with, like, three Chinese players just getting ready. I know, I, I know. and then Brandy clears it, and uh, and then we're out of there. And, Julie, I, I don't know if Bowder remembers this, but – we were in the box and we were just like, oh, holy shit, that, that just happened. I look at Jules and we were kind of next to them. We're kind of laughing like, holy shit, like, let's get the heck out of here. Like, we got to get moving. That was obviously an epic moment. And that's why I was like, all right, I want to kiss your forehead. I was in New York City watching that game. I grabbed both my sisters. And there's there's sort of sports fans, but I've molded them. I had on my lucky New York Giants scarf that I don't take out of my house that I was wearing in 1991 when Scott uh, Norwood kicked the ball wide right. I was going to try to convince you, if you were a Boston fan, <laughs> to uh, seek the ways of, uh, of New York because I think my New York Giants scarf helped in some way. I strongly believe that everything matters. Yes. Whatever little thing went on in your end, my end, the team's end, success. One more uh, excerpt from the book, and then we're going to end with uh, the Foley 5 questions. You end with um, a great chapter of uh, do the right thing, and I, and I love that that was a, a through line, and um, and so I just wanted you to kind of just talk about that premise. You know, I think the underlying theme of the whole book is do the right thing, and um, it's what we did on the national team. Everything we try to do is doing what was right, and whether it was on the field, having integrity, whether it was fighting for what we thought was a off the field, um, but that was always kind of our um, mantra, purpose um, in what we did, and, and we had great people that you know held to those values and morals of what we, we all believed in. So it was tremendous. So to add that to the book of. I mean, and plus it was the 13th chapter, so had to make it all wrap up nicely. And there's also, again, some really great quotes. Tony DiCicco had a great quote. He said, society often positions women just to fit in. We coach them, however, to stand out, to make a difference. And for women, that can be incredibly empowering experience. I loved I loved that quote. Yeah, um, it's, it's awesome. And that's what he did for us. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. And and just as far as doing the right thing, I think that, you know, goes into this this current state of play with, with the national national team again this is the second hope solo and uh and rapino a couple others kicked it off a couple years ago just this fight for equal pay and playing conditions and all of it and again you you speak to that about uh in other interviews and in the book about doing the right thing and the players have a platform and they're continuing to fight for what's right and i think a lot of things everyone thinks well equal play equal pay which that part of it but i think there's all so many other aspects it's it's travel it's food it's all these other little things that you wouldn't think of um 
you know, if you go look at the high school level in sports, you know, still guys teams are getting on the main field more than the girls teams are. That's you know, for the prime time. So I'm just like, those are all the things they're fighting for and it's an example. And I think the bigger impact too with the U.S. team, it affects the world. It affects every other organization out there in the world that is debating on whether they support their women's team. And now with the fight that U.S. is doing and, and the, the progress we've made, you've seen changes in other governing bodies. I mean, all these other governors are like, well, shoot, if they can do it, we can do it and stand up for what is right. So I think it's, it's great that they're continuing the fight and they have such a great platform to do it on and I think for them it's just the balance of fighting the fight off the field and then fighting to win a World Cup at the same time. It does. It ripples down for international soccer. It also ripples down for other female sports like the, yes. the WNBA like just had an agreement with like CBS Sports because I'm always screaming. It's like exposure, exposure, you know, and, and the U.S. national team has it. So the fact that they're jumping in and really fighting for all of this is uh, incredibly inspiring. Wrapping it up, fully five, five questions that will reveal pieces of your soul. Just kidding. They're stupid and fun. Uh, number one, what's the thing in your life that's similar to nails on a chalkboard what drives you crazy oh people chewing ice <laughs> all right no ice chewers around christy lily if you weren't a soccer player what would your profession be a photographer or a veterinarian oh i like that how do you shut out the world and relax uh go for a run or a hike with my dog something's gone terribly wrong you're on death row listen life is complicated uh what is your last meal <sighs> Oh boy, I would say my uh, mother-in-law's salad, <laughs> my mom's my mom's roasted potatoes. Okay. Uh, my mom's chocolate pudding pie for dessert, and then you could throw chicken or steak in there. I, I like that you created an entire plate. Most I people just say one chocolate. thing, but you created an entire plate, which I love. I <laughs> do. Well, I'm trying to think of all the things that I like. <laughs> it is your last meal. I mean, the detail—it's all of the details. Right. All right, last question. Uh, you can go anywhere in the world tomorrow. Where do you go? My kids want to go to Hawaii, so maybe Hawaii. Hawaii with the kids and the hunky firefighter. And the hunky firefighter. Can't forget him. I love it. Um, thank you so much for taking the time. You are a national treasure, and you just made all my podcast dreams come true. Aaron, thank you so much, and we're going to stay connected because we got lots to do. Yeah, we've got an adult fantasy camp <laughs> to plan in Los Angeles, and I'm not and kidding. Hey, yeah, please, I want to come out here, so I also want to, I want to go to your show. We're, we're going to do it. So everybody, get the book, uh, Powerhouse, 13 Teamwork Tactics That Build Excellence and Unrivaled Success. Uh, thank you, Christine Lilly. You are a treasure. Hey, thanks so much for listening to Sports Without Balls. If you want more, and I know you do, hop on over to patreon.com slash sportswithoutballs for extended interviews, bonus content, videos, ways to donate. It's all on patreon.com slash sportswithoutballs. And one more exciting announcement. I have a new comedy album called Deep Dive. It is available right now. iTunes, Spotify, Pandora. Download my album, Deep Dive. It's hysterical. You will love it. Sports Without Balls fans, friends, family, have the best week of your life.